We are celebrating our 100-year anniversary this year at Faith Baptist Bible College. As I heard uh, Tim Capon, who's a good friend of mine, mentioned last night, 96 or 97, 96 churches uh, in the fellowship right now. Uh, majority would have a degree from faith. And uh, faith has made a big difference in the lives of a lot of churches. And uh, I feel like faith is sort of like that forward operating base, training uh, people to go out into ministry. And uh, it's really important. And uh, October 8th, we're celebrating 100 years. We're going to hopefully have the governor, uh, fireworks, uh, outdoor concert. Love to have you come if you're at all interested, especially for an alum. Uh, but God's been doing some great things at Faith. We grew 9% this year. And uh, it's our fifth year of growth in a row. And uh, God is just really blessing us in, in a lot of great ways. But the best part is our students. It's fun for me to come and see alum. And, uh, you know, I've been here going in my seventh year, so now I'm two years of where I could see alum <laughs> that I know. And, uh, but I also say I love meeting our alumni that I didn't know. And uh, just got to meet a pastor this morning that I'd uh, been in correspondence with, but first time to meet face-to-face. And so just so thankful for the work that God's done through faith for 100 years. A lot of you know our history. We started in Omaha and I moved to Ankeny in 67. Uh, and I've learned a lot about our history in just preparation for this 100 years. Uh, not too many organizations are around 100 years later and are still doctrinally what they once were. And uh, I think that's a real tribute to all of the people who've uh, been at faith all through a century of God's goodness. So love to have you come celebrate and uh, excited to just have you on our campus and see what God's doing. If you're in Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 8 this morning. Ephesians 5 verse 8. The Bible says, For you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly in light of all that you just read from 8 to 14. Because of all of this, verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We really want to focus on these last three verses this morning. So as we get started, let's open a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this retreat. Thank you for uh, just the great job that Phil and his team do. Uh, God, just thank you for how well we're cared for, incredible meals, a great facility. Uh, God, and we thank you that in the same state is a camp and a Christian college. And Lord, what a blessing that they can work together uh, to try and help people grow spiritually and uh, be the leaders wherever you take them in whatever aspect of ministry you want them to serve. And God, I just pray that you bless our time together this morning. I pray that if you speak to our hearts, I pray that we would respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, my topic for this was assimilation, the maturing of a disciple. And uh, I'm gonna, that's going to be a bleed over. I know a lot of guys sometimes have lunch and take off, but the session at 1 o'clock today is probably, uh, the title is a picture is worth a thousand words. And that, that really is going to tie it all together, which that was my topic for the last one, was just tie it all together. So I know you may want to take off, and if you do, I understand. But I'm really excited about what we're going to speak on at 1 o'clock. 
and uh, you'll see more extensive notes on that topic. If you have your booklet, there's just three, three notes, and they really come from these three verses. But I want to talk this morning on redeeming the time. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you are satisfied with your investment in others? I would say that in a lot of churches, we get really good at taking care of us. And we kind of come to church wanting to be taken care of us. We don't really come to church looking around to say, hey, who's a visitor that I haven't seen? I can't tell you the amount of churches I go into and go out of and not one person says hi to me. Uh, I mean small churches. I mean where it's really clear Joan and I are the only visitors. And uh, you go into an experience like that, you know what you think as a visitor? Never going back. You know most people, unsaved people, make a decision in the first five minutes whether they're ever going to come back to your church or not. They haven't heard the preacher preach. Probably in first five minutes they haven't even heard a song song. You know what they know in the first five minutes? Whether you're friendly and whether the bathrooms are clean. That's a big deal, guys. <laughs> right? You ever go to a gas station with a bad bathroom? What's your thought? I'm never stopping there again. You ever go to a bathroom that's awesome? You know, I'll go out of my way to use that bathroom. That was awesome. <laughs> and I would just challenge you that those little things matter. Nursery matters. And all of those things, if we're going to assimilate disciples, well, number one, we need to have disciples. And by the way, when I use the word disciple, I'm talking about a follower of Christ. So every time I say disciple in this context, I'm talking about a follower of Christ. If you were to go to our gym at Faith, you'll see a huge banner that says discipleship. And on one side, it says be one. On the other side, make one. And that's kind of a theme that we have at at Faith. We are huge on discipleship. It's really weird, honestly, to be speaking this with the Michael Jordan of discipleship sitting off to my left here in in Doc O. Uh, If you don't know Doc O, he has discipled so many people in ministry. He's discipled me. I'll reference that somewhat in this message, but certainly this afternoon. I'm not even Scotty Pippen, if you remember the Bulls team there. (laughs) So it's kind of weird to be up here and going, hey, the Michael Jordan of discipleship's over here on the left. And in fact, even yesterday, uh, he was teaching me. I mean, and, and I mean, Two things amazed me yesterday about Daco. Number one, if you were in the service, we got back here at 4 o'clock. He's halfway through his sermon and the power went totally out in here, totally black. He just keeps going. Ten minutes later, everyone's phone goes off with a tornado warning. Like, wah, wah, wah. He just keeps rolling. <laughs> and I, it's dark, but I'm looking, and they had to open the windows just so we could get a little light in here, and all the guys were still with him. And he just keep, keeps rolling. And then Dave Callison, he's almost done. And Dave comes in drenched and says, guys, you need to go to the basement. <laughs> I said, they don't prep you that in intro to speech class. You know what I mean? Like you just don't. And I was like, and number one, I was impressed that he could keep rolling when he couldn't see his notes. <laughs> I was like, wow. Like, I'm not sure I could do that. But what impressed me earlier in the day is we went golfing. We got up crazy early. We get to the golf course. You can't use a cart. And we said, well, this is a keynote speaker. He just had back surgery three months ago. I mean, he, he can't be doing a ton of walking. Can we make an exception for this guy? No, we can't make an exception. Well, do you have any pull carts? Well, we think so. You can go check in the barn. If you can find one, you can have one. <laughs> I've never ended up a golf course like that. I mean, you don't even have enough pull carts for the golfers that you can't. That was amazing to me. So we're out in the barn scrabbing around. <laughs> Find some, no straps work, you know what I mean? And so, thankfully, one of our fellow students had bungee cords, and like, hey, I'll bungee it all together. And so, then we walked 45 minutes before we golf. After four, I mean, he walked the course, basically. We golfed four holes, and he's like, I'm done. I just, I can't do it anymore. 
I'm like, Doc, I'll take you back. Let's just go to camp. No, you guys keep going. I'm just going to sit in the clubhouse. So he sat in the clubhouse till three, and I picked him up and brought him over here. And as we walk out of the clubhouse, he says to the nice man at the golf course, thank you so much. I had a few things I was thinking of saying to the nice man at the golf course. (laughs) Thank you to not make my top (laughs) ten. And what a rebuke to me. I was like, man, I, I just felt, man, he got such a raw deal all day long. And what is his attitude as he leaves? Thank you so much. This has really had a wonderful time. Thank you so much. And I honestly, I was so rebuked by that. And I thought, man, Jim, that was not what you were thinking. Now, I didn't say anything, so I didn't hurt us, but it wasn't on my top ten. And guys, that's mentoring. That's discipleship. And he does that to me all the time. I mean, I I love being around him. I call him refrigerator quotes. You ever hear someone say one statement that you just got to stick in your fridge and keep looking at it? That's Daco all the time. And and I'll, I'll reference that more. But as we come back to verse 15 here in our text, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools that is wise. The one thing we all are equal in is time. Yet why do some people seem to accomplish so much more than others? Have you noticed that? If every guy in this room is equal in time, would you look around and say, yeah, but I know some guys even in this room that seem to get more done than I do. There's always those guys in the church that seem to get more done than anyone else. And often if you're willing to get things done, then you keep getting asked, right? But we're all equal in time. Why is it that so many seem to grow old but not up spiritually? And there's a huge difference. There's a lot of people that grow old spiritually. They're in our church. How long have you been saved? 40 years. But they never really matured. So they're old. They've been saved a long time, but they sure haven't grown up very much. And I hate to say it, guys, but I think COVID really revealed that. When we're fighting over mask, no mask, when we're fighting over vaccines, when we're losing it on our pastors because they're just trying to make the best call possible, That seems to go against the verse that says, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. By what? By the love you have one for another. Do you think our church has evidenced that really well? I'll just tell you as I travel America, we did not. People left churches over mask, no mask. You know, the Bible says we can agree to disagree. That's Romans 14. We don't have to all see it the same, but one thing we should have is love for one another. And guys, we we got people that were way more passionate about an election than you've ever been about Christ. We had guys who were way more passionate about telling people how much they love Donald Trump than they've ever said about how much they love Jesus Christ. And I'm for Donald Trump. I'm not, that's not bad if you did that. I'm just saying, if you compared, were you equal even? Were you equally as passionate about Jesus Christ? And which will matter for eternity? And I shared last night why we should care about lost people. And I hope you at least went out of here last night. If Everyone said they're saved. So if you're all saved, then hopefully you left burdened. And said, man, those people are, people are dying and going to this terrible place. And we've been growing up, but we haven't been, or excuse me, we've been growing old in church, but we haven't been growing up in church. And I can't tell you how many discouraged pastors I met who felt like total failures. 
is that I've been preaching in my church for five years, 10 years, 15 years, and this is how the congregation treats each other? I can't believe the, the, the harsh things that were posted on social media. I mean, you couldn't win during COVID, right? I mean, we had harsh things said about me, about faith. And some people want to defend me. I'm like, listen, don't defend me. If, you know what? I, I just have a rule. If I don't know you and you criticize me, I don't care. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't say that publicly. But, but if I know you and you say something to me, I care. But why? Because you know me. You cared about me. You, you love me enough to say something. Well, I, that, that's going to weigh very different than Joe Schmo, who I've never heard from, and, and goes ahead and blasts me, never calls me, never talks to me, just blasts me on social media. Every time I saw that, I said, hey, that's someone who grew old but not up spiritually. Because that's not how believers treat each other. I mean, Daco is unfortunately a Packer fan. I'm a huge Minnesota Viking fan. And if you know those two teams, we, we don't have a lot of love for each other. My favorite jersey is my purple Brett Favre jersey. I love that jersey. But I can stand here and say I love Daco. And I think he'd say, why? We disagree but we love each other. And the Bible says if we're going to disciple, if we're going to mature people, then we're going to have to love, and that's the great commandment, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. By this will all men know you're my disciples. By this, this is the hallmark of how we know you're a follower of Christ, by the love you have one for another. You may have all the doctrine in the world, you may have, but if your attitude is wrong, you're wrong. In fact, you know what a lot of people think about our kind of Christianity? If you're conservative, it's another word that comes after the starts of the sea, crabby. Boy, isn't that sad? That's how we're known. And it shouldn't be that way. We should be known as, hey, they're doctrinally, but man, they're they're gracious. And they have a lot of grace there. They, they really love each other. They, they work together. Many men are workers rather than worshipers. Have you noticed that? By the way, I, I fit in this category often. I'm a worker first, worshiper second. Man, when I read the story of Mary and Martha, I totally get Martha. Do you, you know what I'm saying? You know, Martha's out there, she's working hard, Jesus is out in the living room, and, and she needs help. I mean, we got to get stuff done. People are coming over, we got a meal to prepare. And Mary is not getting the clue. I don't know this for sure, but I think Martha's rattling the pans for a while, and nothing's happening. I think she storms out through the living room, hoping that her sister would catch on. Walks back out, no, no Mary. And finally, she's so ticked, she goes and confronts the God of the universe. Like she's going to give him advice that he's never thought of. <laughs> Lord, would you tell my lazy sister to get out here and help me? Remember Jesus' response? Martha, Martha. Mary's chosen the most important thing. Guys, what you'll find is if you keep being a worshiper first, you're doing a lot of work in the church. Pastors can do this. Man, you're, Sunday's coming, right? So you're always preparing sermons, but you're not feeding your soul. Guys, you keep going to church all the time, but you're not reading your Bible. You're going to get into trouble. Say, man, look at all the things I'm getting done. Yeah, but you're not a worshiper. I love in 1 Corinthians where he says, you know, no matter if you do all these wonderful things, if you give your body to be burned but have not love, it profits you what? Nothing. That's got to be the ultimate bummer, right? <laughs> 
Your body's burned. You stand before God, and God goes, that was dumb. <laughs> You're like, what do you mean that was dumb? I just got burned alive. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't love anyone. That was really dumb. <laughs> and we can do all kinds of work, but God says, hey, if you don't love, and why am I, why am I going on this path? And we're going to get to the text in a minute. The point being, guys, that if you don't love other people, you won't disciple anyone. Some of you maybe are not even discipling your own family. Minimally, you should be doing that. But I believe if you're going to be a follower of Christ, if you're going to be a disciple, then you need to make a disciple. And you need to take that ownership. That's not the pastor's job. That's all of our job. And how that looks is going to be different from every one of us. Some of you are hunters. Are you telling me you can't find an unsaved guy to take hunting with? Or take a guy in your church? Take a... Uh, someone who lost a doesn't have a dad? You, you don't find any guys in your church that you could take hunting with you or fishing? Or maybe you're a woodworker and say, man, you can't find anyone to come over and do woodworking with? I've worked with men a long time. Men typically don't book an, a meeting to come to my office. <laughs> but you go golf with them. You go work with them. You All of a sudden, as you're working together, men talk side to side. And you're, you're, you're working together and all of a sudden they drop a bomb on you and you're like, hey, why didn't you come to my office and talk about that? Because they never will. How do you think Jesus discipled the 12? More by walking with them every day for three years or lecturing them? I personally am convinced it was walking with them every day. They learned a lot of lessons just doing life with Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. It's not this big spooky thing. It's not always a Bible study. Discipleship happens by teaching someone how to change the oil on a car. It's just, it's just doing life with people. It's having your neighbors over and, you know, splitting wood together or, or helping them out, letting them help you out. But sometimes we're so good at being workers that we're terrible worshipers. And God says, men, you've got to get back to worship if you're going to disciple. Worship is the key to discipleship. Any men would rather be workers rather than worshipers, which causes us not to be a disciple or invest in others to help them be followers of Christ. Has golf, work, sports, home projects kept you from your devotions? Have you become a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God? Very few people's goal in life is to be a loser. I'm super competitive. All the college students that know me know this. I don't care what we do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna own you, right? I'm gonna talk trash to you beat me. And then it's just for fellowship, right? <laughs> I say it's the, we're playing for the championship of the world or just a game, right? If I'm winning, we're, it's championship of the world, right? I'm super competitive. There's not one thing I ever go into and say, hey, I want to be a loser. Probably no one here says, hey, I want to be a loser. But those of you that are married, are you a loser as a husband? Or is your wife blessed to be married to you? Do you still romance her? Do you disciple her? Do you know what she's doing in her devotions? Do you pray with her? Most men, when they think of having a family, don't say, hey, my goal is to be a deadbeat dad. Man, that's what I want to be. I want to be like the worst dad ever. But those of you that have kids, are you investing in your kids? Do you know what your kids are doing for their devotions? Do you pray with your kids? Do you teach your kids life skills? Are you so busy that your son learned how to change the oil from someone else? 
Your son learned life skills from someone else because you were just really busy. Man, don't miss that, guys. I don't think many men get married planning to get a divorce. I don't think many men plan to cheat on their spouse, and yet we all know these things happen. Probably everyone in this room can think of someone who's gone down that path. And we think back to the day they got married. That wasn't the goal. Have you ever seen the Mighty Ducks? Coach got so irritated at this terrible team, and he says, Do you like losing? The kid looked at him and said, Well, not at first, but after a while we got used to it. You know what I think would be tragic, men, is if we get used to losing. When it doesn't bother us anymore. Man, I don't know about you, every time I lose, it bugs me. I'm way too invested. I, you know, it says, what's your favorite sports team? It's Faith Eagles, right? Any team that, are Faith Eagles, I'm very invested in our teams. I love it when they win. I hate it when they lose. And I hate to lose personally. But maybe you came into this weekend and you've been losing so much it doesn't bother you anymore. Used to bother me when I wasn't a good husband. Used to bother me when I wasn't a good dad. Used to bother me when I looked at internet porn. Used to bother me when I wasn't reading my Bible. Used to bother me when I wasn't serving in my local church or when I was skipping church for no good reason. But it doesn't really bother me that much anymore. John 10 tells us Christ came to give us life and life more abundantly. Matthew 16, verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will find it. If you want to get the most out of life, you'll have to be a disciple, and which is a true follower of Christ, and you have to encourage others to do the same. And they always go together. I've never met a true follower of Christ who doesn't want others to be a true follower of Christ. Why? Because when you think something's awesome, you want everyone else around you to be a part of it, right? And if you're a true follower of Christ, so the reason a lot of us aren't making disciples is we're probably not a disciple like we should be. Because when we're a true follower of Christ, you're going to say, i got to invest in other people. I want them to know this. I was in a church of new believers. Crazy to have a large church of all new believers. I mean, I, had a, I went, started with a church of 10. I was 28. Everyone above me was 50 or older. Only two kids in the church were my two kids. When I left to come down to faith, we planted four churches out of that church, 550 at all new believers. You know what new believers want? They want all their friends to get saved. You know what new believers? I could put a list and say, we're going to have a class on pornography. I'd go out at the break, it's filled. New believers, they don't care who sees their name. Man, i got to have... I went in my first meeting. I didn't even say anything. And guys are confessing. <laughs> Man, I'm struggling with pornography. I need to have a victim. I mean, I haven't even taught a lesson yet. Man, that's awesome. Do you see that spirit in our churches today? And we get really good at hiding sin, not good at confessing sin. In our churches, it's almost not okay to have a problem because you have a problem in our churches like blood in the shark tank. Discipleship will never take place in that environment. If you're going to have discipleship, then it's got to be, it's okay to admit we're not perfect. And again, if you can stay and come back at one, I want to talk about that picture that is so necessary. If you want to get the most out of life, you're going to have to listen to the advice given in our text. You'll need to be wise. 
This is what he says here in verse 15. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. The word fool commonly refers to a person who acts unintelligently and irresponsibly. The Bible defines the fool as the person who lives apart from God. Psalms 14, verse 1. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They've done abominable works. There is none who does good. Romans 1, verse 21. Because they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Is this not our culture today? Our culture thinks they're so smart, but they've abandoned God. And if you're a Christian that believes God's word, you're considered the idiot today. You're the fool, but that's not God's description. God says, hey, you're wise when you follow and believe this. And you're a fool when you say, hey, I don't need to listen to God's word. The fool makes his own rules and justifies his own behavior. In Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29, because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. By the way, just seems like guys struggle with this more than girls. We're not often good at taking advice, right? I mean, if you're on a trip, I mean, guys would rather drive for four hours rather than stopping at a gas station and say, I'm lost, right? There's something about us, like we don't want to admit we're lost. We'll figure it out. Just take the three of us wandering around the golf course trying to find hole 15 yesterday. <laughs> but honestly, we didn't see anybody. We were begging God for somebody. <laughs> We found a foursome on 15 and said, is this whole 15? Yes. Oh, praise God, we found it. Why? We are very independent. God challenges you in Scripture, 41 and others in Scripture. But have none of my counsel despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled with the fruit of their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them. The complacency of fools will destroy them. Whoever listens to me will dwell safely and be secure without fear. If you want to be a disciple or you want to help make a disciple, you must, three points, and, and these are in your handouts. Number one, walk carefully. That's what he says in verse 15. See then that you walk circumspectly. Walk carefully. That's what the word circumspectly means. Walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. The very first instruction of the gospel to the saved person is to renounce and forsake sin and live a godly, righteous life. If you have your Bible, keep your finger here, but go over to Titus chapter 2. Titus 2, 11 to 14. The Bible says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, that's a $10 word for doing right, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. You come back to our text in Ephesians 5 when he says walk circumspectly. It has the idea of be careful how you go through a cow pasture. You know what I'm talking about? There's things in a cow pasture you do not want to step in, especially if they're fresh. It has the idea of poison ivy. We moved down in August, and we live out in the country, and there's a path right across the road, so you kind of walk through a field to get to the path. So we walked through the field, got on the path, about two days later, my wife broke out with this rash. We went to a doctor, just misdiagnosed it. 
run back home. That rash spread over her entire body. I mean, her face, her whole body covered in this rash. I'm like, John, something's wrong. We need to go back to the doctor. We go back to the doctor and he says, oh, you have a terrible case of poison ivy. We don't have poison ivy in Alberta where we came from. And once you get poison ivy, especially when you get it that bad, you know who's incredibly careful? You know who can tell you what the poison ivy plant looks like? We didn't even know what it looked like before. Man, we, we don't just take a casual stroll through the woods anymore. Why? Because once you get poison ivy, you're like, man, that is not worth it. And that's this idea. Be careful in regards to sin. Guys, are you being careful like you would, saying, man, I don't want to step in that. I don't want to get that poison ivy on me. Are you careful in the area of pornography? Group this size. There's, and I, I tell our college students, I tell you, I speak to teens. I spoke at three teen camps this summer. So a lot of teens get saved. It was awesome. I speak in moral purity. Way over half are responding. And guys, just like I believe you can quit drinking and never drink again, I believe you can quit doing drugs and never do drugs again. I believe that you can quit porn and never look at porn again. And not every guy struggles with porn. Praise God for that. But I think there's a lot of guys who have given up. I tried. Didn't work. I only do it every six months. That's still a failure, guys. And God's saying, hey, walk carefully. Don't put your foot in that. You're not going to like that if you put your foot in that. You're not going to like it when you get that poison ivy on you. But guys, you can't be a disciple if you aren't willing to deal with sin. Because you're not following Christ. And having a victory over pornography will require accountability. You just The Bible says if you confess your faults one to another, why? So you can be healed, he says in James. And the sin of pornography, you say, man, I can't let anyone know. I work with teenagers. And I say, teens, I've worked with teens a long time, and I've never had a parent kill one of our teens. Because teenagers think, if I go home and tell my parents, they'll kill me. In fact, at my last, one of the last camps, I preached that. This girl came up on the last night. She said, Dr. Jim, I just want you to know, I think I'm going to be the first teenager the parents actually kill. She said, but I'm going to tell my parents anyway when I get home. I said, awesome. You know, guys, we're going to need to talk to someone. Then Satan, we talked last night, he's a liar and a deceiver. He's going to try and convince you, you can handle it. If you can handle it, you'll have a victory. Can I challenge you today? If, if you say you can handle it and you look at porn in the next six months, will you commit that I'm going to go talk to someone? I'm going to go talk to my pastor. If, I ha- if that happens, I will prove to myself that I can't handle it. And if I can't handle it, I need help. I love what he says in Proverbs. If you confess and forsake, you will have mercy. But he that hardeneth his heart will not prosper. That's the word of God. That's not Jim Tillotson. You will not prosper. You will not be a follower of Christ. You will not help others be a follower of Christ. And if you care about lost people tonight, if you believe they're going to die and go to hell, then you and I must work at being followers of Christ so that we can produce other followers of Christ. There's a lot of other sin issues than porn, right? How about laziness? Man, the number one reason people don't read their Bible is they're so busy. If you're too busy for God, you're too busy this morning. However your devotions. Have you been reading your Bible every day? A lot of guys don't. You need to walk out of here and say, if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, then he's very clear, I've got to be in this. 
I worked with all new believers. You know, if you if you have a drinking problem and a lust problem and you're not reading your Bible, guess which of those three is the most important? Reading your Bible. Because if you don't get that down, you won't quit the other things. If the house is on fire, the bed isn't made, the dishes aren't done, you don't go wash the dishes. You put the fire out. And the fire is the relationship with God. If you were a smoker and you came in and I said, I want you to hate smoking. I want you to throw them out and never smoke again. And you'd look at me like I have three heads. But when you love God more than smoking, that's when you quit smoking. I, I, I use this illustration all the time. My wife loves gardening. I grew up on a farm. My dad planted a farm with a tractor and a disc. Most people call that crops. My dad called it a garden. And that's all he did with the garden. <laughs> have you ever snapped beans? I mean, I snapped bags of beans. We had chickens. Who took care of the chickens? I did. So I knew two things when I, when I left the farm. We are never having a garden, and I'm never having chickens. And I marry a country girl and get her the two things she wants. Jim, I want chickens. I said, eat rocks. <laughs> she said, no, I really want chickens. And so once I had my son, we got chickens, and he took care of the chickens, so it worked out perfect. <laughs> but I promise you, there's only one person on this planet that I would have a garden and chickens. We moved to Iowa. What's the first thing I got to put in in my house in Iowa? I got to put in a garden. I wouldn't do that for anyone, but love causes me to do something that I wouldn't normally do. And love for God will cause you to quit the sin that you're struggling with. But if you're not walking carefully, if you're just stepping in it every time you run through the pasture, breaking out with poison ivy every time you go through the woods, you're not being careful. And you come back to our text. You see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Are you being careful on the internet? Are you careful what you think about? Are you careful where you're investing in those around you? I believe if you're not intentional, it won't happen. Just like we talked about last night, I plan to get the gallon of milk, but forgot. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you would say, "Here's when you say, who am I investing in, this name comes to my mind. I'm personally investing in this person. I'm, I, I really am trying to reach them with the gospel, or I'm trying to mentor them spiritually. And again, that's not always a Bible study. That may be, ta- I'm going to take them hunting. I'm going to go to a baseball game with them. But we're not just going to talk about baseball. We're not going to just talk about hunting. Man, I not to keep picking on Doc O, but you can't be around Doc O and he's not going to talk about God and the gospel. It's just, I've never had a conversation. You could pick anything. Pick the Red Wings, one of his favorite teams. And he can talk hockey. Doc O is fun. You get around Doc O, he's a lot of fun. But you're, you're not going to have a long conversation where it doesn't somehow turn to God. Why? Because he's always mentoring. He's always looking for that opportunity to encourage you and challenge you in a spiritual way. Who are you seeking to invest in? Independent, self-focused living never goes anywhere good. And it's the struggle of a lot of men, including me. And I'm super independent. I already told you last night, that's how I was raised. If we can't do it, we don't need it. That was my dad's philosophy. Man, I'll do anything for you, but man, I'm not letting anyone help me. That's tough to be married to. Let me challenge you. Are we willing to invest in others? That's discipleship. 
You're wise when you trust God, when you obey God, when you love the right person and things. Coming back to our text, see then that you walk circumspectly, walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise. Number two, redeem the time. Verse 16, redeem the time because the days are evil. It has the idea of buying it back, making good use of every opportunity. If you're sitting here this morning, God's convicting you. And by the way, if you have a Bible open, this isn't Jim Tillotson's opinion. Hopefully you're saying this is what the Bible says. And if you're convicted that you're not investing in people around you, you come home from work, you're tired, you just want to watch sports or watch movies or just stay at home and do whatever, and you sit here and say, man, I can't think of a guy that I'm personally, intentionally investing in. I'm not trying to disciple anyone. I hope. And by the way, it doesn't matter your age. I'll say this in a picture's worth a thousand words, but junior hires look up to high schoolers. If you're a high school student, are you investing in a junior hire? Junior hires think high school schoolers are cool. You know what high schoolers think of junior hires? They're so immature. And I was a youth pastor. I said, that used to be you. What are you talking about? And man, as a high schooler, you spend some time with a junior hire. Man, that junior hire loves that. We have college students, and a lot of high schoolers come on our campus as they're looking at our college. And you know what high schoolers think about college students? They're cool. I say to our college students, hey, when those high schoolers come on, you go invest in them. You spend time with them. And I can't tell you the joy I have of often walking through and seeing college students aren't being paid to do it, aren't being told to do it on their own. They're just spending time with high school students. I personally think it's one of the reasons we keep growing. We have a very friendly campus. We have a very discipleship-oriented campus. Our culture at faith is be one, make one. We're going to try and go out of our way. And if you're sitting here this morning and say, man, all time is equal, who am I been investing in? And if not, am I going to redeem the time? Can I buy it back? We're all equal in time, but we're not all equal in the use of time. It's critical we do this because the days are evil. That's what the text says. Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do I have to convince you how evil our world is right now? I never thought in my lifetime there'd be a phrase, defund the police. You see what's happening in Afghanistan. LGBTQ, attitude toward authority is at an all-time low. And our world is evil. And there was a law that they were trying to pass that would have closed schools like faith down. I mean, and honestly, we look at it and say that's only a matter of time. If our world keeps going down the path it's currently on, there probably will be a day when schools like faith legally, or at least we won't get any funding. Would you still go to church? We need to redeem the time. We have some time right now, and yes, the days are evil, but we still have opportunity. Total number of abortions in the U.S. from 1973 to 2018 is over 61 million. 61 million babies have been killed in America. You go, man, no wonder. I mean, at some point, when is God going to say that's enough? Our nation is becoming tolerant of everything except biblical truth. Those of you that have a family, we're raising our kids in digital Babylon today. We are not raising them in Jerusalem. And we need to recognize that. And that's why we need to be intentional with our families. Our kids are facing things. Man, you know, when I was a kid, we didn't have this. 
And when I was a kid, I grew up in a small town, and we had a store that you could buy pornography at, but man, were you going to risk everyone in town seeing you walk in there? Not a chance. Man, kids today, this is free. You're doing drugs, I can tell. It costs you money. You're doing alcohol, I can tell. It costs you money. Porn, can't tell right away, and it's free. And every kid has one of these. Man, this is a different age than what you and I grew up in if you're my age and older. That's why we've got to be really intentional in helping these kids. That's why we need to disciple. That's why you can't just go to church and care about just you. You've got to go to church and say, hey, I'm coming to church to serve today. Who can I talk to? <laughs> my pastor's here this morning. I am the worst church member ever. I am never at my church. But when I'm there, I, if I see someone I don't know, I always, Joan and I will always go up and talk to them. And they may say, yeah, actually, we've been here six months. <laughs> well, I didn't see you six months and one Sunday ago last time I was in church, but I'm glad to meet you. Guys, do you go out of your way to talk to new, new people? Do you have people in your church? Do you have your neighbors? Joan and I are working on our neighbors all the time. God's given us great opportunities. They're in our home or in their home. I've given the gospel very clearly to our neighbor on our left. We're having opportunity with our neighbors on our right. I honestly, personally believe they're very close. I personally think by within a year from now, I'll be disappointed if we don't have the wife on the one side and the husband on the other side because they're so close. I'll be disappointed if they're not saved. Are you working on your neighbors? Are you redeeming the time? And the days are evil. You know what? Our world is struggling with COVID. You know how open, unsafe people are because of COVID? They're not going to work either, right? They're working from home. They're not connecting with anyone. And you just have them over for dinner. They, people are longing for relationships. This is an incredible opportunity for the gospel if we would take advantage of it. If we would redeem the time and say, man, I haven't had anyone over, but you know, they probably will come now because they're starved for fellowship. They're, they've been stuck at home. Our neighbor to the left, she's a scientist at uh, Corteva, pioneer, hasn't been in her office for a year and a half. Probably still won't be. Hey, we invited them over. Absolutely. They're crazy liberal. And they're crazy fit. Like two things that Joan and I probably don't really exactly. I mean, for fun, she runs 40 miles a day. And, and yet they love us. Why? Because we just had them over. Hey, come over for dinner. We're going to have to start redeeming the time because the days are evil. Do you spend time reading God's word every day? Do you make time to serve in your local church? Do you spend time mentoring others, minimally your family? Guys, do you talk to your kids about devotions? Do you spend time with your uh, boys teaching them the skills that you know? I wish I'd learned a lot more from my dad than I did, but he did teach me a ton. And we can all get busy. And I, I would just say this. I have three kids. They're all grown up now. When you have teenagers, they're going to come in and talk to you at really inopportune times. I had two girls and a boy, especially with the girls. They'll come in at like 10.30. I'm in bed. They'll knock on the door. Hey, can I come in and talk? <laughs> now? <laughs> you know what, guys? If you never take those opportunities, they'll stop knocking. There'll come a day when they realize, hey, I kept trying to talk to you and you were always too busy, so I'm not going to do that anymore. 
I think of a teenage boy. I was a youth pastor in Chicago, a very wealthy area. Dad was crazy busy, very involved in his work, very su- bought his kids everything, gave him a car at 16, put it on a basketball court, but the boys wanted time with Dad. And they, Dad said, hey, we're going to go camping, and the son got so excited, got all the camping gear together, uh, couldn't wait, got up really early Saturday morning, went down, knocked on Dad's door, hey, Dad, you ready to go? I said, oh, I'm sorry, Dad had to go to work today. Oh, put his camping stuff away. Dad came home that night and said, hey, son, next Saturday, next Saturday, we're going to go camping. Sorry, I got called to work today. Next Saturday, son got up, got all his camping gear together, so excited, runs down, knocking the door. Hey, Dad, ready to go camping? I'm sorry, Dad had to go to work today. Dad said, but son, next Saturday. Next Saturday, didn't get up as excited, but he did still get up and get his stuff together. Again, went down, knocked on the door. I'm sorry, Dad went to work today. And this is what the son told me. I... When dad said we were going to do something, I stopped getting excited because it just didn't happen. Guys, minimally, we should be discipling our family. But I also believe if you are a follower of Christ, you have to be investing in others to help them become followers of Christ. We had a sheriff in our church that I grew up in, Chuck Averill. Chuck Averill invited me when I was 16 to go out on visitation. I go on visitation, and after visitation, He'd always take me out to eat. I would sit down and just talk life, talk about whatever. And I thought he was cool because he's a police officer. And I can't remember the hot chocolates he bought me. Graduated high school, he gave me a buck knife. I still have to this day. Chuck Averill probably never know how much he mentored me, but he just did life with me. Daco. Daco played hockey with me. We had a club hockey team when I was in college. Daco played hockey with us, ate with us, talked with us. He just did life with us. I would challenge you, those moments will mean the world to you and they'll mean the world to others if you're willing to redeem your time because the days are evil. Has work, sports, hunting, fishing, home projects crowded out time with God or time to serve God? Don't waste your life in trivia and half-hearted service to God. Galatians 6.10, you're right here in Ephesians. Go over to Galatians, just back up. Galatians chapter 6, verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. A believer's entire life is his unique but limited opportunity to serve others in God's name. Greek word of God's in my here means to be active, a self-called a great effort in taking every opportunity to sow for God's glory. Men, will we redeem the time? Let's go back, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. We're to walk carefully, we're to redeem the time. And lastly, in verse 17, therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. When our priorities are God's priorities, he's free to work in us and through us. And that's your last point if you're taking the notes. Understand God's will for your life. If you're here this morning, you really believe God's will is for me to invest in others. Then for you to leave this retreat and not do it, for him that knows to do good and doeth it not, it is what? Sin. I don't know about you, but if I put things in the sin category, that's a different category for me. Because a lot of times I like what I, what is sin, I like to say is just a bad habit or, you know, just whatever. But then when God really works on me and says, Jim, that's sinful, then, then I have to work on that. And God says, if, if I've called every man in this room to not be an island, 
Every guy in this room needs to be investing in someone. Be one and make one. Be a follower of Christ and try and help someone else be a follower of Christ. If that is a biblical command, if you leave this retreat, and by the way, guys, I don't, that, this fits every age group. I, I talked about high schoolers, but, but what about if you're retirement age? 79, Doc O over here. You know what, Doc O, when he thought of retirement, retirement doesn't mean I don't stop investing in people. If you're still alive, who are you investing in? Who are you encouraging? It doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your vocation. You're going to do it different. You don't have to do it like me. You don't have to do it like Pastor Cotner. <laughs> you ever hear Pastor Cotner preach? That guy's like on fire when he preaches. If you ever, especially the Psalms, I know what the Psalms fires this guy up. He goes North Korean when he preaches in the Psalms. <laughs> and I and I hear him preach, man. I I just, man, my heart just. I'm always so stirred. I mean, he just lights it up. And I get in hearing him preach, and I'm like, man, I'll never preach like Pastor Cotner. But that's okay. God doesn't ask me to be Pastor Cotner. And I can love his gift and appreciate his gift, and God says, Jim, I made you the way you are. And he made Pastor Cotner the way he made him, and Tim Capon the way he made him, and we all, we're not going to all disciple the same way. That's what's so great about the body of Christ. Some of you can't hunt. That's probably a bad idea to take a guy hunting if you can't hunt, right? I mean, we had ball players. We, we would do a tournament and have deacons versus pastors, and the goal is half your team has to be lost people. Because, you know, unsaved guys think that Christian guys can't do anything. And we had great ball players. We had guys that could crush it over the fence. And those, the first time a guy hit a home run, a believer in our church, all these unsaved guys are like, whoa. You go to church? <laughs> and I would train our guys, take advantage of that. Yeah, I go every Sunday. If you go every Sunday, you can hit a ball like that too. <laughs> we did a wild game dinner. It went 61, 22, 80 in three years. And I said, guys, all you guys that hunt, we had a lot of hunters in our church. I said, we need to donate game and we need to take a picture of it. And we do a video, and we just show that year what the guys in our church shot that year. And then, and we had chefs that prepared the food amazingly. We had all kinds of crazy food. And all these unsaved guys are out there going, you shot a trophy elk? And you go to church? Like, are you? Yeah, if you go to church every Sunday, you can shoot an elk like that too. <laughs> guys, we're going to mentor differently. You're going to disciple differently. If you can hunt, if you can... I was sat next to a guy who can fish. And he takes guided tours down to Missouri and shows guys how to fish. I'm like, I, I, can't, I like to fish, but not like he does it. Man, where can they go when they're in the boat with you, right? <laughs> Man, you got a great opportunity to say, hey, I go to church. You go to church? And you're a fishing guide? Whoa. It's weird how unsaved guys think about Christian guys. But you know why they think that? Because too many of us aren't doing life with them. They have this weird idea of us because we're not engaging with them. That's why they think we're so weird and so different. And then when you start doing normal things that they do, they're like, really, Christian guys do that? If you got to know me, I'm a jeans and sweatshirt guy. That's why when I get to heaven, I think that's the temperature in heaven, right? When you go, ah, see your breath, heaven temperature right there. I love that. 
But if you only came to our church on Sunday, I wore a suit up in Canada, and, and they'd come over to my house. I, I never wore a suit outside of the pulpit, ever. We had a white-collar church. There was reasons why I did it. You don't need to wear a suit every time you preach. They'd come over to my house, and they'd see me in jeans and sweatshirt, and they're like, you wear jeans? <laughs> yeah, and they're awesome. <laughs> why? you got to do life with people. They just got to see that you're normal. And as you as they see your normal, that's going to open up conversations about the gospel. And if you agree that this is God's will, this is what he's challenging you here. He says, redeem the, uh, walk carefully, redeem the time. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. It's God's will for every one of us to disciple someone. God didn't give you salvation for you to keep it to yourself. If you're a follower of Christ, he wants you to encourage others to be a follower of Christ, whether that's lost people or new believers or someone younger than you. When a person is saved, sanctified, and thankful, he's already doing God's will. There's 41 another's in Scripture. Bear one another's burdens, pray for another, and just the list is 40 long. Does that define your life? Are you one anothering? Whose burdens are you bearing? Who are you praying for? Who are you serving? Serve one another. Love one another. We can all get so invested in us and ours that we're missing the opportunity to disciple. Have you considered what God wants? Have you asked the question, how can God get the most out of your life recently? Maybe you ask that when you're newly saved. How can God get the most out of my life? When's the last time you asked that? Have you recently said, hey, God, how can you get the most out of my life? How could I make a difference in the greatest way. Are you so independent you have no impact for the cause of Christ? Are you intentionally spending time with anyone? If not, let me encourage you as we close in this verse. Do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Walk carefully, redeem the time, and understand God's will for your life. Let's close in prayer this morning. Thank you, thank you for these men. Thank you for the great attention. And God, I think all of us can think of someone in our life that we could invest in. Certainly if, if there are married men here, if there's men who have family, kids, grandkids, that's low-hanging fruit. Lord, that's just so easy. We clearly should be investing in our families. And God, forgive us for the times that we were so busy we did not do that. But God, we thank you for your mercy and grace. And Lord, you allow us to start over. And God, we could go home from this retreat and intentionally make a decision that minimally I'm going to start spending time with my kids, my wife, my grandkids. But God, help us to go a tick out from that. Lord, help us to look for someone in our church or in our neighborhood that we could also invest in. And God, you made us all different. Every guy in this room has different skills, different abilities. God, we don't have to be like someone else. Help us to just be us. But God, use the way you wired us, the way you made us to encourage other people to know who you are and what you've done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.